Chapter 9, Intervention of Spirits in the Corporeal World Penetration of Our Thoughts by Spirits Question 456. Do spirits see everything that we do? And the answer, they can do so if they choose, since they are incessantly around you. But practically, each spirit sees only those things to which he directs his attention, for he pays no heed to those which do not interest him. Question 457. Can spirits see our most secret thoughts? And the answer, they often see what you would fain hide from yourselves. Neither acts nor thoughts can be hidden from them. Follow-up question. It would appear then to be more easy to hide a thing from a person while living than to hide it from that same person after his death. And the answer, certainly. And when you fancy yourselves to be hidden from every eye, you often have a crowd of spirits around you, watching you. Question 458. What is the thought of us by the spirits who are about us and observing us? And the answer, that depends on the quality of the spirits themselves. Frivolous spirits enjoy the little annoyances they cause you and laugh at your fits of impatience. Graver spirits pity your imperfection and endeavor to aid you to cure yourselves of them. Occult Influence of Spirits on Our Thoughts and Actions Question 459. Do spirits influence our thoughts and actions? And the answer is, their influence upon them is greater than you suppose, for it is very often they who direct both. Question 460. Have we some thoughts that originate with ourselves, and others that are suggested to us? And the answer, your soul is a spirit who thinks. You must have observed that many thoughts, and frequently very opposite ones, come into your mind reference to the same subject, and at the same time. In such cases, some of them are your own, and some are ours. This is the cause of your uncertainties, because you have thus in your mind two ideas that are opposed to each other. Question 461. How can we distinguish between the thoughts which are our own and those which are suggested to us? And the answer is, When a thought is suggested, it is like a voice speaking to you. Your own thoughts are generally those which first occur to you. In point of fact, this distinction is not of much practical importance for you, and it is often better for you to not be able to make it. Man's actions is thus left in greater freedom. If he decides for the right road, he does so more spontaneously. If he takes the wrong one, he is more distinctly responsible for his own mistake. Question 462. Do men of intelligence and genius always draw their ideas from their own minds? And the answer is, their ideas sometimes come from their own spirit but they are often suggested to them by other spirits who judge them to be capable of understanding them and worthy of transmitting them. When they do not find the required ideas in themselves, they make an unconscious appeal for inspiration, a sort of evocation that they make without being aware of what they are doing. Kardec adds, if it were useful for us to be able to distinguish clearly between our own thoughts and those which are suggested to us, 
God would have given us the means of doing so, as he have given us that of distinguishing between day and night. When a matter has been left by providence in a state of vagueness, it has been left so because it is better for us. Question 463. It is sometimes said that our first thought is always the best. Is this true? And the answer, it may be good or bad according to the nature of the incarnated spirit. It is always well to listen to good inspirations. Question 464. How can we ascertain whether a suggested thought comes from a good spirit or from an evil one? And the answer, study its quality. Good spirits only give good counsels. It is for you to distinguish between the good and the bad. Question 465. To what end do imperfect spirits incite us to evil? And the answer, to make you suffer as they do themselves. Follow-up question, does that lessen their own sufferings? The answer, no, but they do so from jealousy of those who are happier than themselves. Follow-up question, what kind of sufferings do they wish to make us undergo? And the answer, those which result from being of an inferior order and far removed from God. Question 466. Why does God permit spirits to incite us to evil? And the answer is, Imperfect spirits are used by providence as instruments for trying men's faith and constancy in well-doing. You, being a spirit, must advance in the knowledge of the infinite. It is for this end that you are made to pass through the trials of evil in order to attain to goodness. Our mission is to lead you into the right road. When you are acted upon by evil influences, it is because you attract evil spirits to you by your evil desires. For evil spirits always come to aid you in doing the evil you desire to do. They can only help you to do wrong when you give way to evil desires. If you are inclined to commit murder, you will have about you a swarm of spirits who will keep this inclination alive in you. But you will also have others about you who will try to influence you for good, which restores the balance and leaves you of your decision. Kardec adds, It is thus that God leaves us to our own conscience, the choice of the road we decide to follow, and the liberty of yielding to one or the other of the imposing influences that act upon us. Question 467. Can we free ourselves from the influence of the spirits who incite us to evil? And the answer, yes, for they only attach themselves to those who attract them by the evil nature of their thoughts and desires. Question 468. Do spirits whose influence is repelled by our will renounce their temptations? And the answer is, what else can they do? When they see that they cannot accomplish their aim, they give up the attempt, but they continue to watch for a favorable moment as the cat watches for the mouse. Question 469. By what means can we neutralize the influence of evil spirits? And the answer, by doing only what is right and putting all your trust in God, 
you repel the influence of inferior spirits and prevent them from obtaining power over you. Take care not to listen to the suggestions of spirits who inspire you with evil thoughts, stir up discord among you, and excite you in evil passions. Distrust especially those who flatter your pride, for in doing so, they attack you on your weakest side. This is why Jesus makes you say the Lord's Prayer, Let us not succumb to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Question 470. Have spirits who seek to lead us into evil, and thus put our firmness in rectitude, to the proof, received a mission to do this, and, if so, are they responsible for the accomplishment of such a mission? The answer, no. Spirits never receive a mission to do evil. When he does it, he does it of his own will, and therefore undergoes the consequences of his wrongdoing. God may let him take his evil way in order to try you, but he does not command him to do so, and it is for you to repel him. Question 471. When we feel a sensation of vague anxiety, of undefinable uneasiness, or of interior satisfaction, without any assignable cause, do these sensations proceed simply from our physical state? And the answer is, they are almost always an effect of the communications which you unconsciously receive from the spirits about you or which you have received from them during your sleep. Question 472. When spirits wish to excite us to evil, do they merely take advantage of the circumstances in which we find ourselves, or can they themselves bring about the circumstances which may favor their designs? And the answer is, they take advantage of the occurrence of any favorable circumstances, but they also often bring them about by urging you on without your being aware of it towards the object of your unwise desire. Thus, for instance, a man picks up a row of banknotes by the wayside. You must not imagine that spirits have brought this money to this particular spot, but they may have suggested to the man the idea of going that way. And when he has found the money, they may suggest to him the idea of taking possession of it, while others suggest to him the idea of restoring it to its rightful owner. It is thus in all other temptations. Possession Question 473. Can a spirit temporarily assume the envelope of a living person? That is to say, can he introduce himself into an animate body and act in the room and place of the spirit incarnated in it? And the answer is, a spirit does not enter into a body as you enter into a house. He assimilates himself to an incarnate spirit who has the same defects and the same qualities as himself, in order that they may act co-jointly. But it is always the incarnate spirit who acts at his pleasure on the matter with which he is clothed. No other spirit can substitute himself in place of the spirit who is incarnated in a given body for a spirit is indissolubly united with his body until the arrival of the hour that has been appointed by providence for the termination of his material existence. Question 474. 
If there is no such thing as possession in the ordinary sense of that term, that is to say, cohabitation of two spirits in the same body, is it possible for one soul to find itself dominated, subjugated, obsessed by another soul to such a point as that its will is, so to say, paralyzed? And the answer is yes, and it is this domination which really constitutes what you call possession. But you must understand that this domination is never established without the participation of the spirit who is subjected to it, either through his weakness or his free will. Men often have mistaken for cases of possession what were really cases of epilepsy or madness, demanding the help of the physician rather than of the exerciser. Kardec adds, The word possession, in its common acceptance, presupposes the existence of demons, that is to say, of a category of beings of nature, essentially evil, and the cohabitation of one of those beings with the soul of a man in the body of the latter. Since there are no such beings as demons in the sense just defined, and since two spirits cannot inhabit simultaneously the same body, there is no such thing as possession in the sense commonly attributed to that word. The word possess should only be understood as expressing the state of absolute subjection to which a soul in flesh may be reduced by the imperfect spirits under whose domination it has fallen. Question 475. Can a soul of its own motion drive away the evil spirits by whom it is thus obsessed and free itself from their domination? And the answer is, you can always shake off a yoke if you are firmly resolved to do so. Question 476. Might not the fascination exercised by evil spirits be so complete that the person subjugated should be unaware of it? And in such a case, might not a third person be able to put an end to the subjugation? And what course should be taken by the latter to that end? The answer, the willpower of an upright man may be useful by attracting the cooperation of good spirits in the work of deliverance. For the more upright a man is, the more power he possesses, both over imperfect spirits to drive them away and over good ones to draw them nearer. Nevertheless, even the best of men would be powerless in such a case unless the subjugated person lent himself to the efforts made on his behalf. For there are persons who take delight in a state of dependence which panders to their depraved taste and desires. In no case can one who is impure in heart exercise any liberating influence, for he is despised by the good spirits, and the bad ones stand in no awe of him. Question 477. Have formulas of exorcism any power over bad spirits? And the answer, no. When bad spirits see anyone seriously endeavoring to act upon them by such means, they laugh at him and persist in their obsession. Question 478. Persons who are well-intentioned are sometimes obsessed. What are the best means of getting rid of obsessing spirits? And the answer is, to tire out their patience, to give no heed to their suggestions, to show them that they are losing their time when they see that they can do nothing 
they go away. Question 479. Is prayer effective as a means of putting an end to obsession? And the answer is, prayer is always an efficient means of obtaining help. But you must remember that the muttering of certain words will not suffice to obtain what you desire. God helps those who help themselves, but not those who limit their action to asking for help. It is therefore necessary for the person obsessed to do his utmost to cure himself of the defects which attract evil spirits to him. Question 480. What is to be thought of the casting out of devils spoken of in the Gospels? And the answer is, that depends on the meaning you attach to the word devil. If you mean by that term a bad spirit who subjugates a human being, it is evident that when his influence is destroyed, he will really be driven away. If you attribute a malady to the devil, you may say, when you have cured the malady, that you have driven the devil away. A statement may be true or false according to the meaning attributed to certain words. The most weighty truths may appear absurd when you look only at the form under which they are presented and when an allegory is taken for a fact. Get this principle well into your mind and keep it there, for it is of universal application. Convulsionaries Question 481. Do spirits play a part in the phenomena exhibited by the individuals designated under the name of convulsionaries? And the answer, yes, a very important one, as does also the agent that you call magnetism, whether employed by human beings or by spirits, for this agent is the original source of the phenomena. But charlatanism has often exaggerated those effects and made them a matter of speculation, which has brought them into ridicule. Follow-up question, what is generally the nature of the spirits who help produce phenomena of this kind? And the answer, of slight elevation. Do you suppose that spirits of high degree would waste their time in such a way? Question 482. How can a whole population be suddenly thrown into the abnormal state of convulsions and crisis? And the answer, through sympathy. Moral dispositions are sometimes exceedingly contagious. You are not so ignorant of the effects of human magnetism as not to understand this, and also the part that certain spirits would naturally take in such occurrences, through sympathy with those by whom they are produced. Kardec adds, among the strange peculiarities remarked in convulsionaries, several are evidently identical with those of which sonambulism and mesmerism offer numerous examples, vis-à-vis physical insensibility, thought-reading, sympathetic transmission or sensations, etc. It is therefore impossible to doubt that these crises are in a sort of waking sonambulism determined by the influence which they unwittingly exercise upon each other. They are at once mesmerized and mesmerized unconsciously to themselves. Question 483. What is the cause of the physical insensibility sometimes remarked in convulsionaries and sometimes also in other persons when subjected to the most atrocious tortures? And the answer is, 
In some cases, it is simply an effect of human magnetism, which acts upon the nervous system in the same manner as do certain substances. In other cases, mental excitement deadens the sensibility of the organism, the life seeming to retire from the body in order to concentrate itself in the spirit. Have you not observed that, when the spirit is intensely occupied with any matter, the body neither feels nor sees nor hears? Kordek adds, The excitement of fanaticism and enthusiasm often offer on the part of persons subjected to a violent death examples of a calmness and coolness that could hardly triumph over excruciating pain unless the sensibility of the patient were neutralized by a sort of moral anesthesia. We know that, in the heat of battle, a severe wound is often received without being perceived, while, under ordinary circumstances, a mere scratch is felt acutely. Since the production of these phenomena is due in part to the action of physical causes, in part to that of spirits, it may be asked how it could have been possible for the civil authorities in certain cases to put a stop to them. The reason of this is, however, very simple. The action of spirits in these cases is only secondary. They do nothing more than take advantage of a natural tendency. The public authorities did not suppress this tendency, but the cause would kept up and simulated it, thus reducing it from a state of activity to one of latency, and they were right in doing so, because the matter was given rise to abuses and scandal. Such intervention, nevertheless, is powerless in cases where the action of spirits is direct and spontaneous. Affection of Certain Spirits for Certain Persons Question 484. Do spirits affectionately prefer certain persons? And the answer, good spirits sympathize with all men who are good, are susceptible of amelioration. Inferior spirits with men who are bad, are who may become such. The attachment in both cases is a consequent of the similarity of sentiment. Question 485. Is the affection of certain spirits for certain persons exclusively one of sentiment? And the answer, true affection has nothing of carnality, but when a spirit attaches himself to a living person, it is not always through affection only, for there may also be in that attachment a reminiscence of human passions. Question 486. Do spirits take an interest in our misfortunes and our prosperity? Those who wish us well, are they grieved by the ills we undergo during life? And the answer, good spirits do you all the good they can, and rejoice with you in all your joys. They mourn over your afflictions when you do not bear them with resignation, because in that case affliction produces no beneficial result, for you are like the sick man who rejects the disagreeable draught that would cure him. Question 487. What is the kind of ills that causes most grief to our spirit friends? Is it our physical sufferings or our moral imperfections? And the answer, what grieves them the most is your selfishness and your hard-heartedness, for these are the root of all your troubles. They smile at the imaginary sorrows that are born of pride and ambition, 
they rejoice in those which will shorten your term of trial. Kardec adds, Our spirit friends, knowing that corporeal life is only transitory, and that the tribulations by which it is accompanied are the means that will enable us to reach a happier state, are more grieved for us by the moral imperfections which keep us back than by physical ills which are only transitory. Spirits attach as little importance to misfortunes which affect us only in our earthly ideals as we do to the trifling sorrows of childhood. Seeing the afflictions of life to be the means of our advancement, they regard them only as the passing crisis which will restore the sick man to health. They are grieved by our sufferings as we are grieved by those of a friend. But, judging the events of our lives from a truer point of view, they appreciate them differently, while inferior spirits try to drive us to despair in order to hinder our advancement. The good ones seek to inspire us with the courage that will turn our trials into a source of gain for our future. Question 488. Have the relatives and friends who have gone before us in the other life more sympathy for us than spirits who are strangers to us? And the answer, undoubtedly they have, and they often protect you as spirits according to their power. Follow-up question. Are they sensible of the affection we preserve for them? And the answer, very sensible. But they forget those who forget them. Guardian Angels, Protecting Familiar and Sympathetic Spirits Question 489. Are there spirits who attach themselves to a particular individual in order to protect and help him? And the answer, yes. The spirit brother, what you call the spirit protector, are the good genie. Question 490. What is to be understood by the expression guardian angel? And the answer, a spirit protector of high degree. Question 491. What is the mission of a spirit protector? The answer, that of a father towards his children to lead the object of his protection onto the right road, to aid him with his counsels, to console him in his afflictions, and to sustain his courage under the trials of his earthly life. Question 492. Is the spirit protector attached to an individual from his birth? And the answer, from his birth to his death, and he often follows him after death in the spirit life, and even in several successive corporal existences, for these existences are but every short phases of his existence as a spirit. Question 493. Is the mission of a spirit protector voluntary or obligatory? And the answer is, your spirit protector is obliged to watch over you because he has accepted that task, but a spirit is allowed to choose his ward among the beings who are sympathetic to him. In some cases, this office is a pleasure. In others, it is a mission or a duty. Follow-up question. In attaching himself to a person, is a spirit obliged to refrain from protecting other individuals? The answer, no, but he does so less exclusively. Question 494. Is the spirit protector always attached to the person confided to his guardianship? 
And the answer, it often happens that spirits quit their position in order to fulfill various missions. But in that case, an exchange of wards takes place. Question 495. Does a spirit protector sometimes abandon his ward when the latter persists in neglecting his counsels? And the answer is, he withdraws from him when he sees that his counsels are useless and that there is a stubborn determination to yield to the influence of inferior spirits. But he does not abandon him entirely and continues to make himself heard. It is not the spirit who quits the man, but the man who closes his ears against the spirit. As soon as the man calls him back, the spirit returns to him. If there be a doctrine that should win over the most incredulous by its charm and its beauty, it is that of the existence of spirit protectors or guardian angels. To think that you have always near you beings who are superior to you and who are always beside you to counsel you, to sustain you, to aid you in climbing the steep ascent of self-improvement, whose friendship is truer and more devoted than the most intimate union that you can contract upon the earth, is not such an idea most consoling? Those beings are near you by the command of God. It is He who has placed them beside you. They are there for love of Him, and they fulfill towards you a noble but laborious mission. They are with you wherever you may be, in the dungeon, in solitude, in the pleasure house, and even in the haunts of debauchery. Nothing ever separates you from the friend whom you cannot see, but whose gentle impulsions are felt, and whose wise monitions are heard in the innermost recesses of your heart. Would that you were more fully impressed with this truth! How often it would aid you in your moments of need! How often it would save you from the snares of evil spirits! But at that great day of account, how often will your guardian angel have to say to you, did I not urge you, and yet you would not follow my leading? Did I not show you the abyss, and yet you persisted in throwing yourself into it? Did I not cause your conscience to hear the voice of truth, and have you not followed lying counsels? Question your guardian angels, establish between yourselves and them the affectionate intimacy which exists between tried and loving friends. Do not think to hide anything from them, for they are the eye of God, and you cannot deceive them. Think of the future, seek to advance on the upward road, your trials will be shorter, your existences happier. Men, take courage, cast far from all your prejudices and mental reservations. Enter resolutely upon the new road that opens before you. You have guides, follow them, your goal cannot fail you, for that goal is God himself. To those who may think it is impossible that spirits of high degree should bind themselves to a task so laborious and demanding so much patience on their part, we reply that we influence your souls while at many millions of leagues from you. To us, space is nothing, and while living in another world, our spirits preserve their connection with yours. We possess qualities of which you can form no idea, but be sure that God has not imposed upon us a task above our strength, 
and that he has not abandoned you upon the earth without friends and without support. Every guardian angel has his ward, over whom he watches as a father watches over his child. He rejoices when he sees him following the right road. He mourns when his counsels are neglected. Do not fear to worry us with your questions. Remain, on the contrary, always in connection with us. You will thus be stronger and happier. It is this communication between each man and his familiar spirit that will eventually make all men mediums and drive out incredulity from your world. You who have received instructions, instruct in your turn. You who are possessed of talents, raise your brethren. You know not how great a work you accomplish by so doing. It is the work of Christ, the work imposed on you by God. Why has God given you intelligence and knowledge, if not to share them with your brethren, to aid them to advance on the road that leads to eternal felicity? Allan Kardec adds, The doctrine of guardian angels watching over their wards, notwithstanding the distance which separates different worlds, has in it nothing that should excite our surprise, as it is as natural as it is grand and sublime. Do we not see a father upon the earth watch over his child, even though at a distance from him, and aid him by the wise counsels of his letters? Why then should it be deemed surprising that spirits should guide, from one world to another, those whom take under their protection, since to them the distance which separates worlds is less than that which on earth separates continents? Besides, have they not the universal fluid which binds together all the worlds of the universe and makes them part and parcel of each other? The universal vehicle of the transmission of thought as the air is, for us, the vehicle of the transmission of sound. Question 496. If a spirit abandons his ward and no longer does him good, can he do him harm? And the answer, good spirits never do harm to any one. They leave that to those who take their place, and you then accuse fate of the misfortunes which overwhelm you, while these are in reality the result of your own wrongdoing. Question 497. Can a spirit protector leave his ward at the mercy of a spirit who should desire to do him harm? And the answer, evil spirits unite together to neutralize the actions of the good ones, but the will of the ward suffices to back all his power to the spirit protector. The latter may find elsewhere another person whose good will renders it easy to help him, in such a case he takes advantage of the opportunity of doing good while awaiting the return of his ward. Question 498. When the spirit protector allows his ward to wander into wrong paths, is it because he is unable to cope with the malevolent spirits who mislead him? And the answer, it is not because he is unable, but because he does not choose to do so. He knows that his ward will become wiser and better through the trials he will have brought upon himself. The spirit protector assists his ward through the sage counsels he suggests to the mind, but which unhappily are not always heeded. It is only the weaknesses, carelessnesses, or pride of men that give strength to bad spirits. 
their power over you comes solely from your not opposing sufficient resistance to their action. Question 499. Is the spirit protector constantly with his ward? Are there no circumstances under which, uh, without abandoning him, he may lose sight of him? And the answer, there are circumstances under which the presence of the spirit protector is not necessary to the ward. Question 500. Does the time arrive when the spirit no longer needs a guardian angel? And the answer, yes, when he has reached the degree of advancement which enables him to guide himself as a time arrives when the scholar has no longer need of a master. But this does not take place upon your earth. Question 501. Why is the action of spirits upon our existence occult? And why, when they are protecting us, do they not do so ostensibly? The answer is, if you counted on their support, you would not act of yourselves, and your spirit would not progress. In order to advance, each man needs to acquire experience, and often at his own expense. He needs to exercise his powers, otherwise he would be like a child who is not allowed to walk alone. The actions of the spirits who desire your welfare is always regulated in such a way as to leave you your free will, for if you had no responsibility, you would not advance on the road that is to lead you to God. Man, not seeing his supporter, puts forth his own strength. His guide, however, watches over him and calls to him from time to time to bid him beware of danger. Question 502. When the spirit protector succeeds in leading his ward on the right road, does he thereby gain any benefit for himself? And the answer, it is a meritorious work which will be counted to him either for his advancement or his happiness. He rejoices when he sees his care crowned by success and triumphs as a teacher triumphs in the success of his pupil. Follow-up question, is he responsible if he does not succeed? And the answer, no, since he has done everything that depended on him. Question 503. Does the spirit protector feel sorrow on seeing a ward taking the wrong road, and does not such a sight disturb his own felicity? And the answer, he is grieved at his errors and pities him. But this affliction has none of the anguish of terrestrial paternity, because he knows that there is a remedy for the evil, and that which is not done today will be done tomorrow. Question 504. Can we always know the name of our guardian angel? And the answer, how is it possible for you to know names which have no existence for you? Do you suppose there are no spirits but those whom you know of? Follow-up question, but how can we invoke him if we do not know who he is? And the answer, give him any name you please, that of any superior spirit for whom you feel sympathy or veneration. Your spirit guardian will answer this appeal, for all good spirits are brothers and assist each other. Question 505. Are the spirit guardians who take well-known names always the persons who bore those names? And the answer, no, but they are spirits who are in sympathy with them, and who, in many cases, come by their order. 
You require names. They therefore take a name that will inspire you with confidence. When you are unable to execute a commission in person, you send someone in your place who acts in your name. Question 506. When we are in the spirit life, shall we recognize our spirit guardian? And the answer, yes, for it's often a spirit whom you knew before being incarnated. Question 507. Do all spirit guardians belong to the higher classes of spirits? Are they sometimes found among those of average advancement? Can a father, for example, become the spirit guardian of his child? And the answer is, he may do so, but such guardianship presupposes a certain degree of elevation, and in addition, a power or virtue granted by God. A father who watches over his child may himself be assisted by a spirit of more elevated degree. Question 508. Can all spirits who have quitted the earth under favorable conditions become the protectors of those whom they love among their survivors? And the answer is, their power is more or less narrowed by their position, which does not always leave them full liberty of action. Question 509. Have savages and men who are very low as regards their moral state, their spirit guardians? And if so, are these spirits as of high in order as those of men who are more advanced? And the answer, every man has a spirit who watches over him, but missions are always proportional to their object. You do not give a professor of philosophy to a child who is only learning to read. The advancement of the familiar spirit is always proportioned to that of the spirit he protects. When you yourself have a spirit of higher degree who watches over you, you may in your turn become the protector of a spirit who is lower than you, and the progress you help him to make will contribute to your own advancement. God does not demand of any spirit more than is consistent with his nature and with the degree at which he has arrived. Question 510. When a father who watches over his child is reincarnated, does he still continue to watch over him? And the answer, his task in that case becomes more difficult, but in a moment of freedom, he asks some sympathetic spirit to assist him in accomplishing it. But spirits do not undertake missions which they cannot carry on to the end. A spirit when incarnated, especially in worlds in which existence is grossly material, is too much fettered by his body to be able to devote himself entirely to another, that is to say, to give him personally all the help he needs. For this reason, those who are not sufficiently elevated to suffice for the work of guardianship are themselves assisted by spirits of higher degree, so that if, from any cause, the help of one spirit should fail, his place is supplied by another. Question 511. Is there, besides the spirit guardian, an evil spirit attached to each individual for the purpose of exciting him to be evil, thus of furnishing him with the opportunity of struggling between good and evil? And the answer, it would not be correct to say attached. It is very true that bad spirits endeavor you to draw you out of the right road when they find an opportunity of doing so. But 
It is very true that bad spirits endeavor to draw you out of the right road when they find an opportunity of doing so. But when one of them attaches himself to an individual, he does so of his own accord, because he hopes to be listened to. In such a case, there is a struggle between the good and the evil spirit, and the victory remains with the one whose influence the man has voluntarily subjected himself. Question 512. May we have several protecting spirits? And the answer, every man has about him a number of sympathetic spirits of more or less elevation who interest themselves in him from affection, as he also has others who help him to do evil. Question 513. Do spirits who are sympathetic to an individual act upon him in virtue of a mission to that effect? And the answer, in some cases they may have a temporary mission, but in general they are only drawn to an individual by similarity of sentiments in good or in evil. Follow-up question, it would seem then that sympathetic spirits may be either good or bad. And the answer, yes, a man is always surrounded by spirits who are in sympathy with him, whatever may be his character. Question 514. Are familiar spirits the same as sympathetic spirits and spirit guardians? And the answer, there are very many shades in guardianship and in sympathy. You may give to these whatever names you please, but the familiar spirit is rather the general friend of the family. Kardec adds, From the above explanations and from observations of the nature of spirits who attach themselves to men, we draw the following inferences. The spirit protector, good genies, or guardian angel, is the one whose mission is to follow each man through the course of his life and to aid him to progress. His degree of advancement is always superior to that of his ward. Familiar spirits attach themselves to certain persons for longer or shorter periods in order to be useful to them within the limits, often somewhat narrow, of their possibilities they are generally well-intentioned, but sometimes rather backward and even frivolous. They busy themselves with the everyday details of human life and only act by order or with the permission of the spirit guardians. Sympathetic spirits are those who are drawn to us by personal affection and by a similarity of taste in good or in evil. The duration of their relationship with us is almost always dependent on circumstances. An evil genie is an imperfect or wicked spirit who attaches himself to a man for the purpose of perverting him, but he acts on his own motion and not in virtue of a mission. His tenacity is proportionate to the more or less easy access accorded to him. A man is always free to listen to the suggestions of an evil genie, or to repel them. Question 515. What is to be thought of those persons who seem to attach themselves to a certain individuals in order to urge them on to their injury, or to guide them on the right road? And the answer, some persons do in fact exercise over others a species of fascination, which seems irresistible. When this influence is used for evil, it is to be attributed to evil spirits, who make use of evil men in order to more effectually to subjugate their victim. God may permit this in order to try you. 
Question 516. Could our good or evil genie incarnate himself in order to accompany us more closely in our earthly life? And the answer, that sometimes occurs, but they more frequently entrust this mission to incarnated spirits who are in sympathy with them. Question 517. Are there spirits who attach themselves to all the members of a family in order to watch over and aid them? And the answer, some spirits attach themselves to the members of a family who live together and who are united by affection, but do not attribute pride of race to spirit guardians. Question 518. Spirits being attracted to individuals by their sympathies, are they similarly attracted to companies of persons united in view of special ends? And the answer, Spirits go by preference to the places where they meet their similars. They are more at ease among such and more sure of being listened to. Everyone attracts spirits to himself according to his tendencies, whether as an individual or as an element of a collective whole, such as a society, a city, or a nation. Societies, towns, and nations are therefore assisted by spirits of more or less elevated degree according to the character and passions which predominate in them. Imperfect spirits withdraw from those who repel them, from which it follows that the moral excellence of collective wholes, like that of individuals, tend to keep away bad spirits and to attract good ones, who rouse and keep alive the sense of rectitude in the masses, as others may sow among them the worst passions. Question 519 have agglomerations of individuals, such as societies, cities, nations, their special spirit guardians? And the answer, yes, for those assemblages constitute collective individualities who are pursuing a common end and who have need of a higher direction. Question 520. Are the spirit guardians of masses of men of higher degree of advancement than those who are attached to individuals? And the answer, their advancement is always in proportion with the degree of advancement of masses as of individuals. Question 521. Can certain spirits advance the progress of the arts by protecting those who cultivate them? And the answer, there are special spirit protectors who assist those by whom they are invoked when they judge them to be worthy of their help. But what could they do with those who fancy themselves to be what they are not? They cannot make the blind to see, nor the deaf to hear. Kardec adds, The ancients converted these spirit guardians into special deities. The muses were nothing else than the allegoric personification of the spirit protectors of arts and sciences, just as the spirit protectors of the family circle, designated by the name of Lars are of Penates. Among the moderns, the arts, the various industries, cities, countries also have their protecting patrons, who are no other than the spirit guardians of a higher order, but under different names. Each man having his sympathetic spirit, it follows that, in every collective whole, the generality of sympathetic spirits correspond to the generality of individuals that stranger spirits are attracted to it by identity of thoughts. In a word, that these assemblages, as well as individuals, who are more or less favorably surrounded, 
influence assisted according to the predominant character of the thoughts of those who compose them. Among nations, the conditions which exercise in attractive action upon people are the habits, manners, and dominant characteristics of their people, and above all their legislation, because the character of a nation is reflected in its laws. Those who uphold the reign of righteousness among themselves combat the influence of evil spirits. Wherever the laws consecrate injustice in humanity, good spirits are in the minority, and the mass of bad ones who flock in, attracted by that state of things, keep the people in their false ideas and paralyze the good influences which, being only partial, are lost in the crowd, like a solitary wheat ear in the midst of tares. It is therefore easy, by studying the characteristics of nations or any assemblages of men, to form to oneself an idea of the invisible population which is mixed up with them in their thoughts and in their actions. Presentiments Question 522. Is presentiment always a warning from the spirit guardian? And the answer is, a presentiment is a counsel privately addressed to you by a spirit who wishes you well. The same may be said of the intuition which decides the choice of his new existence by a spirit about to reincarnate himself. The voice of instinct is of the same nature. A spirit, before incarnating himself, is aware of the principal phases of his new existence, that is to say, of the kind of trials to which he is about to subject himself. When these are of a very marked character, he preserves in his inner consciousness a sort of impression respecting them, and this impression, which is the voice of instinct, becomes more vivid as the critical moment draws near, becoming presentiment. Question 523. Presentiments and the voice of instinct are always somewhat vague. What should we do when we are in a state of uncertainty? And the answer is, when you are in doubt, invoke your spirit guardian or implore our common master, God, to send you one of his messengers, one of us. Question 524. Are the warnings of our spirit guardians given solely for our moral guidance, or are they also given for our guidance in regard to our personal affairs? And the answer is, they are given in reference to everything that concerns you. Your spirit guardians endeavor to lead you to take, in regard to everything that you have to do, the best possible course, but you often close your ears to their friendly counsels and thus get yourselves into trouble through your own fault. Kardec adds, Our protecting spirits aid us by their counsels and by awakening the voice of our conscience. But, as we do not always attach sufficient importance to these hints, they give us more direct warnings through the persons about us. Let a man reflect upon the various circumstances of his life, fortunate or unfortunate, and he will see that, on many occasions, he received advice which, had he followed it, would have spared him a good deal of annoyance. Influence of Spirits on the Events of Human Life Question 525. Do spirits exercise an influence over the events of our lives? 
And the answer is, assuredly they do, since they give you advice. Follow-up question, do they exercise this influence in any other way than by means of the thoughts they suggest to us? That is to say, have they any direct action on the course of earthly events? And the answer, yes, but their action never oversteps the laws of nature. Kardec adds, We erroneously imagine that the actions of spirits can only be manifested by extraordinary phenomena. We would have spirits come to our aid by means of miracles, and we imagine them to be always armed with a sort of magic wand. Such is not the case. All that is done through their help being accomplished by natural means. Their intervention usually takes place without our being aware of it. Thus, for instance, they bring about the meeting of two persons who seem to have been brought together by chance. They suggest to the mind of someone the idea of going in a particular direction. They call your attention to some special point. If the action on your part thus led up to, by their suggestion, unperceived by you, will bring about the result they seek to obtain. In this way, each man supposes himself to be obeying only his own impulse, and thus always preserves the freedom of his will. Question 526. As spirits possess the power of acting upon matter, can they bring about the incidents that will ensure the accomplishments of a given event? For example, a man is destined to perish in a certain way, at a certain time. He mounts a ladder, the ladder breaks, and he is killed. Have spirits caused the ladder to break? in order to accomplish the destiny previously accepted by or imposed upon this man? And the answer is, It is very certain that spirits have the power of acting upon matter, but for the carrying out of the laws of nature, and not for derogating from them, by causing the production at a given moment of some unforeseen event in opposition to those laws. In such a case as the one you have just supposed, the ladder breaks because it is rotten, or is not strong enough to bear the man's weight. But as it was the destiny of this man to be killed in this way, the spirits about him will have put into his mind the idea of getting upon a ladder that will break down under his weight, and his death will thus have taken place naturally, and without any miracle having been required to bring it about. Question 527. Let us take another example. One in which the ordinary conditions of matter would seem to be insufficient to account for the occurrence of a given event. A man is destined to be killed by lightning. He is overtaken by a storm and seeks refuge under a tree. The lightning strikes the tree and he is killed. Is it by spirits that the thunderbolt has been made to fall and to fall upon this particular man? And the answer, the explanation of this case is the same as that of the former one. The lightning has fallen on the tree at this particular moment, because it was in accordance with the laws of nature that it should do so. The lightning was not made to fall upon the tree because the man was under it, but the man was inspired with the idea of taking refuge under a tree upon which the lightning was about to fall for the tree would have been struck all the same, whether the man had been under it or not. Question 528. An ill-intentioned person 
hurls against someone a projectile which passes close by him, but does not touch him. Has the missile in such a case been turned aside by some friendly spirit? And the answer, if the individual aimed at were not destined to be struck, a friendly spirit would have suggested to him the thought of turning aside from the path of the missile, or would have acted upon his enemy's sight in such a way as to make him take a bad aim. For a projectile, when once impelled on its way, necessarily follows the line of its own projection. Question 529. What is to be thought of the magic bullets which figure in certain legends, and which, by a mysterious fatality, infallibly reach their mark? And the answer, they are pure imagination. Man delights in the marvelous, and is not contented with the marvels of nature. Follow-up question. May the spirits who direct the events of our lives be thwarted by other spirits, who desire to give to our lives a different direction? In the answer, what God has willed must needs take place. If delay or hindrance occur, it can only be by His appointment. Question 530. Cannot frivolous and mocking spirits give rise to the various little difficulties that defeat our projects and upset our calculations? In a word, are they not the authors of what may be termed the petty troubles of human life? And the answer, such spirits take pleasure in causing vexations which serve as trials for the exercise of your patience. But they tire of this game when they see that they do not succeed in ruffling you. But it would neither be just nor correct to charge them with all your disappointments, the greater number of which are caused by your own heedlessness. When your cockery is broken, the breakage is much more likely to have been caused by your own awkwardness than by spirit action. Follow-up question. Do the spirits who bring about petty vexations act from personal animosity, or do they direct their attacks against the first person who comes handy without any fixed aim and simply to gratify their malice? And the answer, they act from both these motives. In some cases, they are enemies whom you have made during your present life are in the former one and who pursue you accordingly. In others, they act without any fixed motive. Question 531. In the case of those who have done us harm in the earthly life, is their malevolence extinguished when they return to the spirit world? And the answer, in many cases they perceive the injustice of their action and regret the wrong they have done you, but in other cases they continue to pursue you with their animosity, if God permits them to do so, as a continuation of your trial. Follow-up question, can we put an end to this sort of persecution, and by what means? And the answer, you can do so, in many cases, by praying for them, because by thus rendering them good for evil, you can gradually bring them to see that they are in the wrong, and in all cases, if you can show them, by your patience, that you are able to rise superior to their machinations, they will cease to attack you, seeing that they gain nothing by so doing. Kardec adds, Experience proves that imperfect spirits follow up their vengeance from one existence to another, and that we are made thus to expiate, sooner or later, the wrongs we have done to others.
Question 532. Are spirits able to avert misfortunes from some persons and to bring them upon others? And the answer, only to a certain extent, for there are misfortunes that come upon you by the decrees of providence, but spirits can lessen your sufferings by helping you bear them with patience and resignation. Know also that it often depends on yourselves to avert misfortunes, or at least to attenuate them. God has given you intelligence in order that you may make use of it, and it is especially by doing so that you enable friendly spirits to aid you most effectively, vis-a-vis by suggesting useful ideas, for they only help those who help themselves. A truth implied in the words, Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be open unto you. Besides, you must remember that what appears to you to be a misfortune is not always such, for the good which it is destined to work out is often greater than the seeming evil. This fact is not always recognized by you, because you are too apt to think only of the present moment, and of your own immediate satisfaction. Question 533. Can spirits obtain for us the gifts of fortune, if we entreat them to do so? And the answer, they may sometimes accede to such a request as a trial for you, but they often refuse such demands as you refuse the inconsiderate demands of a child. Follow-up questions. When such favors are granted, is it by good spirits or by bad ones? And the answer, by both. For the quality both of the request and of the grant depends on the intention by which they are prompted. But such acquiescence is more frequent on the part of spirits who desire to lead you astray and who find an easy means of doing this through the material pleasures procured by wealth. Question 534. When obstacles seem to be placed by a sort of fatality in the way of our projects, is it always through the influence of spirits? And the answer, such obstacles are sometimes thrown in your way by spirits, but they are more often attributable to your own bad management. Position and character have much to do with your successes or failures. If you persist in following a path which is not your right one, you become your own evil genius and have no need to attribute to spirit action. The disappointments that result from your own obstinacy are mistake. Question 535. When anything fortunate happens to us, ought we to thank our spirit guardian for it? And the answer, let your thanks be first for God, without whose permission nothing takes place, and next, for the good spirits who have been his agents. Follow-up question, what would happen if we neglected to thank them? And the answer, that which happens to the ungrateful. Next follow-up question, yet there are persons who neither pray nor give thanks, who nevertheless succeed in everything they do? And the answer, yes, but wait to see the end of their lives. They will pay dearly for this passing prosperity, which they have not deserved. For the more they have received, the more they will have to answer for. Action of Spirits in the Production of the Phenomena of Nature Question 536. Are the great phenomena of nature, those which we consider as perturbations of the elements, due to fortuitous causes, 
or have they all a providential aim? In the answer, there is a reason for everything. Nothing takes place without the permission of God. Follow-up question, have these phenomena always some reference to mankind? In the answer, they have sometimes a direct reference to man, but they often have no other object than the reestablishment of the equilibrium and harmony of the physical forces of nature. Another follow-up question, we fully admit that the will of God must be the primal cause of these phenomena, as of everything else, but we know that spirits exercise an action upon matter and that they are the agents of the divine will. We ask whether some among them do not exert an influence upon the elements to rouse, calm, or direct them. And the answer, it is evident that they must do so. It could not be otherwise. God does not exercise a direct action upon matter. He has his devoted agents at every step of the ladder of worlds. Question 537. The mythology of the ancients is entirely based on spiritist ideas with this difference, that they regarded spirits as divinities. They represented those gods or spirits with special attributes. Thus some of them had charge of the winds, others of lightning, others again presided over vegetation, etc. Is this belief entirely devoid of foundation? And the answer, it is so far from being devoid of foundation that it is far below the truth. Follow-up question, may there in some way be spirits inhabiting the interior of the earth and presiding over the development of geological phenomena? And the answer, those spirits do not positively inhabit the earth, but they preside over and direct its development according to their various attributions. You will some day have the explanation of all these phenomena, and you will then understand them better. Question 538. Do the spirits who preside over the phenomena of nature form a special category in the spirit world, or are they beings apart, or spirits who have been incarnated like us? And the answer, they are spirits who will be incarnated, or who have been so. Follow-up question, do those spirits belong to the higher or lower degrees of the spirit hierarchy? And the answer, that is according as their post is more or less material or intelligent. Some command, others execute. Those who discharge material functions are always of an inferior order among spirits as among men. Question 539. In the production of certain phenomena, of storms for example, is it a single spirit that acts or a mass of spirits? And the answer, a mass of spirits, or rather, innumerable masses of spirits. Question 540. Do the spirits who exert an action over the phenomena of nature act with knowledge and intention in virtue of their free will, are from an instinctive and unreasoning impulse? And the answer is, some act in the one way, others in the other. To employ a comparison, figure to yourself the myriads of amicliae that build up islands and archipelagos in the midst of the seas. Do you believe that there can be, in this process, no providential intention, 
and that this transformation of the surface of the globe is not necessary to the general harmony, yet all this is accomplished by animals of the lowest degree in providing for their bodily wants without any consciousness of their being instruments of God. In the same way, spirits of the most rudimentary degrees are useful to the general whole while preparing to live, and prior to their having full consciousness of their action and free will, they are made to concur in the development of the various departments of nature in the production of the phenomena of which they are the unwitting agents. They begin by executing the orders of their superiors. Subsequently, when their intelligence is more developed, they command in their turn and direct the processes of the material world. Still later, again, they are able to direct the things of the moral world. It is thus that everything in nature is linked together, from the primitive Adam to the archangel, who himself began at the Adam, an admirable law of harmony, which your mind is, as yet, too narrow to seize in its generality. Spirits during a battle Question 541 When a battle is being fought, are there spirits who assist and support each party? And the answer, yes, and who stimulate their courage. Kardec adds, the ancients represented the gods as taking part with such and such a people. Those gods were nothing else than spirits represented under allegorical figures. Question 542. In every war, the right is only on one side. How can spirits take the part of the one which is in the wrong? And the answer, you know very well that there are spirits who seek only discord and destruction. For them, war is war. They care little whether it be just or unjust. Question 543. Can spirits influence a general in the planning of a campaign? And the answer, without any doubt, spirits can use their influence for this object, as for all other conceptions. Question 544. Could hostile spirits suggest to him unwise combinations in order to ruin him? And the answer, yes, but has he not his free will? If his judgment do not enable him to distinguish between a good idea and a bad one, he will have to bear the consequences of his blindness and would do better to obey than to command. Question 545. May a general sometimes be guided by a sort of second sight, an intuitive perception that shows him, beforehand, the result of his combinations? And the answer it is often thus with a man of genius. This kind of intuition is what is called inspiration and causes him to act with a sort of certainty. It comes to him from the spirits who direct him and who act upon him through the faculties with which he is endowed. Question 546. In the tumult of battle, what becomes of the spirits of those who succumb? Do they continue to take an interest in the struggle after death? And the answer, some of them do so, others withdraw from it. Kardec adds, in the case of those who are killed in battle, as in all other cases of violent death, a spirit, during the first few moments, is in a state of bewilderment, as though he were stunned. He does not know that he is dead and seems to be taking part in the action. It is only little by little that the reality of a situation 
becomes apparent to him. Question 547. Do the spirits of those who had fought against each other while alive still regard one another as enemies after death, and are they still engaged against one another? And the answer, a spirit under such circumstances is never calm. At the first moment, he may still be excited against his enemy and even pursue him, but when he has recovered his self-possession, he sees that his animosity has no longer any motive, but he may nevertheless retain some traces of it for a longer or shorter period according to his character. Follow-up question, does he still perceive the clang of the battlefield? And the answer, yes, perfectly. Question 548. When a spirit is coolly watching a battle as a mere spectator, does he witness the separation of the souls and bodies of those who fall? And how does this phenomena affect him? And the answer is, very few deaths are altogether instantaneous. In most cases, the spirit whose body has just been mortally struck is not aware of it for the moment. It is when he begins to come to himself that his spirit can be seen moving beside his corpse. This appears so natural that the sight of a dead body does not produce any disagreeable effect. All the life of the individual being concentrated in his spirit, the latter alone attracts the attention of the spirits about him. It is with him that they converse, to him that orders are given. Packs with Spirits Question 549 is there any truth in the idea that packs can be entered into with evil spirits? The answer, no, there is no pact, but there is sympathy between an evil nature and evil spirits. For example, you wish to torment your neighbor, but you know not how to set about it, and you therefore call to your help some of the inferior spirits, who, like yourself, only desire to do evil, and who, in return for the help they give you in carrying out your wicked designs, expect you to help them with theirs. But it does not follow that your neighbor will not be able to get rid of such a conspiracy by an opposing conjuration and the action of his will. He who desires to do an evil deed calls evil spirits to his assistance by that mere desire, and he is then obliged to serve them as they have served him for they, on their side, have need of his help in the evil they desire to do. What you call a pact consists simply in this reciprocity of assistance in evil. Kardec adds, The subjection to evil spirits, in which a man sometimes finds himself, proceeds from his abandoning himself to the evil thoughts suggested by them, and not from any sort of stipulations between them and him. The idea of a pact, in the sense commonly attached to that word, is a figurative representation of the sympathy which exists between a bad man and malicious spirits. Question 550. What is the meaning of the fantastic legends of persons selling their soul to Satan in order to obtain from him certain favors? The answer is, all fables contain a teaching and a moral. Your mistake is in taking them literally. The one you refer to is an allegory that may thus be explained. He who calls evil spirits to his aid 
in order to obtain from them the gifts of fortune or any other favor, rebels against providence. He draws back from the mission he has received and from the trials he was to have undergone in his earthly life. And he will reap the consequences of this rebellion in the life to come. By this we do not mean to say that his soul is condemned to misery forever, but as, instead of detaching himself from matter, he plunges himself deeper and deeper into it, his enjoyment of earthly pleasures will only have led to his suffering in the spirit world until he shall have redeemed himself from the thraldom of evil by new trials, perhaps heavier and more painful than those against which he now rebels. Through his indulgence in material pleasures, he brings himself under the power of impure spirits, and thus establishes between them and him a tactic compact which leads him to his ruin, but which it is always easy for him to break with the assistance of higher spirits, if he has the firm determination to do so. Occult Power, Talismans, Sorcerers Question 551. Can a bad man with the aid of a bad spirit, who is at his orders, cause harm to his neighbor? And the answer, no, God would not permit it. Question 552. What is to be thought of the belief in the power of certain persons to throw a spell over others? And the answer, certain persons possess a very strong magnetic power of which they may make a bad use if their own spirit is bad, and, in that case, they may be seconded by other bad spirits. But do not attach belief to any pretended magical power, which exists only in the imagination of superstitious people, ignorant of the true laws of nature. The facts adduced to prove the existence of this pretended power are facts which are really due to the action of natural causes that have been imperfectly observed, and above all, imperfectly understood. Question 553. What is the effect of the formulas and practices by the aid of which certain persons profess to be able to control the wills of spirits? And the answer, their only effect is to render such persons ridiculous. If they really put faith in them, and if they do not, they are rogues who deserve to be punished. All such formulas are mere nonsense. There is no sacramental word, no cabalistic sign, no talisman that has any power over spirits, for spirits are attracted by thought and not by anything material. Follow-up question. Have not cabalistic formulas been sometimes dictated by spirits? The answer, yes, there are spirits who give you strange signs and words, and prescribe certain acts with the aid of which you perform what you call conjurations. But you may be very sure that such spirits are making game of you and amusing themselves with your credulity. Question 554. Is it not possible that he who, rightly or wrongly, has confidence in what he calls the virtue of a talisman, may attract spirits to him by the very confidence? For in that case it would be his thought that acts, the talisman being only a sign that helps to concentrate and direct his thought. And the answer, such an action is quite possible, but the nature of the spirit thus attracted 
would depend on the purity of intention and the elevation of sentiment of the party attracting him, and it rarely happens that one who is simple enough to believe in the virtue of a talisman is not actuated by motives of a material rather than of a moral character. At all events, such practices imply a pettiness and weakness of mind that would naturally give access to imperfect and mocking spirits. Question 555. What meaning should we attach to the qualification of sorcerer? In answer, those whom you call sorcerers are persons gifted, when they are honest, with certain exceptional faculties, like the mesmeric power or second sight. And as such persons do things that you do not comprehend, you suppose them to be endowed with supernatural power. Have not many of your learned men passed for sorcerers in the eyes of the ignorant? Question 556. Do some persons really possess the gift of healing by merely touching the sick? And the answer, the mesmeric power may act to that extent when it is seconded by purity of intention and ardent desire to do good. For, in such a case, good spirits come to the aid of the mesmerizer. But you must be on your guard against the way in which facts are exaggerated when recounted by persons who, being too credulous or too enthusiastic, are disposed to discover something marvelous in the simplest and most natural occurrences. You must also be on your guard against the interested recitals of persons who work on credulity with a view to their own benefit. Benedictions and Curses Question 557. Do benedictions and curses draw down good and evil on those who are the object of them? And the answer, God does not listen to the unjust malediction, and he who utters it is guilty in his eyes. As we are subjected to two opposite influences, good and evil, a curse may have a momentary action even upon matter but this action can never take place unless by the will of God and as an increase of trial for him who is its object. Besides, curses are usually bestowed on the wicked and benedictions on the good, but neither blessing nor cursing can ever turn aside the justice of providence, which only strikes the one who is cursed if he is wicked and only favors the one who is blessed if he merits its protection. For those interested in learning more about Spiritism, you can find the entire The Spirits book on PDF. Look up Allan Kardec space PDF on your favorite search engine. If you wish to explore more about the levels of heaven and the attributes of a spirit and the future of earth, I suggest you read my series of three books starting with Heaven and Below, next, Spirits and the Spirit Universe, and the third book, How Spirits Guide Us. God bless.